Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lewin, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, and today we're going to be running into our final part of our three-part mini-series on farm succession planning, and we're talking with farm business management instructor Jim Molinar. Jim has a wealth of experience helping farmers walk through their own farm transition stories, and I'm really looking forward to digging into this topic with you today, Jim. So welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Thank you. Well, uh, before we dig in too much, uh, would you mind maybe just giving a summary of your background and how you got into doing what you're doing today? Well, Jared, I'm a farm boy. I grew up on a farm. I raised hogs and cattle to pay my way through college Okay. with the agreement that I'd come home and work on the farm weekends if my dad would take care of things during the week. And uh, I fully intended to be a farmer. But I started my ag teaching career in 1981 as a high school ag teacher and uh, lost my father in a farm accident. And that was at the height of the 1980s farm crisis. That kind of effectively ended my potential to become a farmer. Sure. But uh, because of that interest in farming, I actually moved from high school teaching to the, the adult ag farm management program. And I've uh, done that for, I think, 34 years in the high school before that. So it's my 41st year. Wow. Nobody can see me, but I have some gray hair on top. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's a brief introduction, but I work with maybe 55 to 60 farm families in a radius of maybe 40 miles around St. Cloud work with those farms and day-to-day management of their farm business, finances, questions, succession is part of it. Yeah, and I guess the succession is the main thing we'll talk on today, but if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about, I don't know that on this podcast we've talked specifically about farm business management and kind of the stuff that goes into that program, and my family use it. I hear a lot of other farmers using it, so maybe for the listener, if you wouldn't mind sharing just a brief overview on what that that program entails and what it offers to to farmers as they enroll? Well, I won't make it too detailed. That maybe wouldn't be interesting, but uh, farm business management people are part-time students of the Minnesota State Colleges. There are, I think, in the 60s of instructors statewide, so there's one of us just about everywhere. Uh, There are no classes per se. It's basically individual education with an instructor. And a lot of it is focused on the finances of the farm, balance sheet, cash flow planning, uh, analyzing the business for profit and loss. And so uh, you do that work with farmers and their finances quite often, and you work with them over quite a number of years. I have some that have maybe done this in the program for 20 to maybe 30 years. Uh, You get to be a confident, and so farm succession is often brought up. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say that it goes hand in hand. And uh, I became interested in farm succession maybe 10 years ago. And uh, I'll just say that I became more interested in the farm succession process and did some training to kind of learn how to facilitate that. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear a little bit about that. And this kind of topic is sort of personal for me as my dad and myself and my wife and our families start to have these conversations. My dad's still 
young yet, but from what I've understood anyway, it's never too early to start in those farm secession conversations. So when you're working with some of your families that you're, you're consulting with or kind of advising, do you try to engage in this conversation pretty quick or how early do you tend to encourage farms to start thinking about secession? Well, I would encourage any farm to maybe start having a plan, even if you're young, because you might be a young farm family with children and uh, planning for them in case something should, you know, tragic should happen to both me and my spouse. As simple as who can write checks out of my business? Who's going to care for our children? Do you, do you want the state to decide that and a judge somewhere, or do you want to actually put that in your will? But that's, uh, you know, I probably uh, jump to uh, narrow focus quickly. Uh, really, the key question to ask farm families is, do you want your farm to continue beyond your lifetime? And if the answer is yes, then that initiates the farm succession process. If the answer, I do not, you know, no, I'm not interested in my farm continuing beyond my lifetime. I just need to figure out what's going to happen when I die and who gets what. Mm -hmm. That's an estate plan. And so there are two different things. I try to just, you know, be a teacher of that or an explainer of that. Yeah. If you want your farm to continue beyond your lifetime, then maybe we need to spend some time talking about this. Yeah. And it, when people have the answer, no, is it out of, do you have folks that I guess maybe genuinely just don't want to see that happen? Or is it usually out of a lack of interest from the next generation or maybe not a thinking that it's viable for another generation? It could be both. Okay. Uh, you know, it could be there is no successor. And in which case, uh, but I have, may have errors. So, and, you know, for some people, maybe uh, a sale of their assets or discontinuing the farm. I need those assets to pay for my long-term health care or my retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, no one is interested in farming. Mm -hmm. uh, let's face it, taking on a new generation is a risk for the yeah. owner generation or the parent generation. It's not always parents. So there's some risk there and probably some sacrifices that those folks could need to make. But if the desire is to pass the farm along, you know, then let's make a plan. Yeah. Well, what are some of those risks? Because that's not something you, you, you maybe think about is that you're sacrificing or giving something up to see that transition. Mm -hmm. What would what some of those be? Well, financial risk. You know, quite honestly, uh, land values have been escalating. And, you know, it's pretty attractive if I even own a 200-acre farm and I sell that, that's a sizable terramet nest egg for someone. You know, so someone might just decide that's, that's what I've done, that's what I've earned, and that's what I want to do. I would say that's more rare, but it's not, not out of the ordinary. Yeah. But I also know of a person who did not have children uh, who wanted to farm. And he found an off-farm person to make a transition with. So completely unrelated and was an unknown person. I'm thinking they might be 10 years into it now, and it's gone very well for them. Good. So the farm will continue. Mm -hmm. It's just a different person, not a family member. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I, I think even about uh, yeah my relationship with my dad and stuff here, and, and the he talked about sacrifice and how you know as me choosing to want to come home to farm means that he may need to continue working longer than he otherwise would have been able to. Like you talked about the, the asset value, he could cash out, retire on a beach somewhere, but because of the desire to pass it on, both with him and and, and myself, he's now chosen to continue farming, and so. Yeah, I guess that you're right. That is a decision an individual has to make is are they willing to maybe sacrifice the sort of retirement they might otherwise be able to have to see it passed on? I, I suppose, Jared, it's not just sacrifice. Uh, I do have a farmer who's been to the programs I've facilitated a number of times. And mm. he has said very clearly, I want to watch my grandchildren grow up. And so if my children are farming, I'm going to see my grandkids every day. And get to work with them. Yeah. And that's my goal. And uh, he's very clear about that. And, you know, he always brings a smile to my face. So there's an upside to it. You know, it's not all sacrifice. That's such a cool perspective. Yeah. No, that, that's that's a good point. So I guess when those folks then decide, yes, that they want to see it passed on, whatever their motivation is, and, you know, having thought through, I guess, maybe some of the challenges that come with that. What are the first steps that you take with them? And maybe it's a little different for you because you've already worked with these businesses and you know the businesses in and out. But I guess maybe if you were working with somebody who you didn't or, you know, a newer newer client, what are some of those first steps you take? Well, first, Jared, I'd like to say, you know, as a, as a farm management instructor, as the facilitator, I want to be a good listener. So this isn't a situation where I'm coming in and saying, here's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, giving people guidance and helping them to talk out and think out their own plans. Mm-hmm. So having said that, as their facilitator, I'm going to encourage farms to make a plan and emphasize that enough. Because a farm business can pass from one generation to the next without planning. But if you make a plan, you will improve the odds greatly that it will succeed. So just say that again. You make a plan, the odds of a successful transfer go way up. Yeah. And what are, I guess there's probably a list of some of the components to each plan that you help walk through with these individuals? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We we talk about, and by the way, Megan Roberts, if you know Megan, uh, Mm -hmm. was at the Southern Center of Agriculture and was formerly uh, in this area with Minnesota Extension. She's been my partner. And when we, we teach this, we talk about three things, like a stool that has three legs. Many people that milk dairy cows might remember sitting on a three-legged stool or you might have one in your home. The three legs of planning would be the business succession. What are my goals? What are the economics of my farm? Is there enough income? Uh, What's the labor situation? And how do we transfer the actual management to the business from a parent to the next generation? Believe it or not, that's, that's hard. So business succession, an estate plan, what happens to my assets when I die, 
but also who has control of those assets, maybe when I can't make decisions for myself. And then the third part would be retirement. What does that look like that I'm no longer the full-time farmer or the full-time decision maker, or maybe I've reduced the amount of labor I contribute. But what am I going to do when I'm not doing that? And uh, so those would be three things that I would encourage in this planning process. And there's more steps to each one, of course, but succession of the business while I'm living, estate planning, what happens to my assets when I die, and then what about my retirement? What's the point? Yeah, and I'm thinking in my head here probably that some of those are maybe more challenging conversations to have than other ones. And obviously there's a probably a million different different uh, factors that will play into each of those. So I guess, how are you helping individuals walk through what are, you know, what are the factors that implement, or you know, I guess just how do those conversations go when you're working with a farm? Well, the first thing, Jared, if you know anything about farmers, is that there's always work to be done, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We're gonna plant corn. We got, you know, we got to bale hay, haul manure. Uh, the cows need to be milked. Got to haul grain to market. There's always something urgent to do. Communication in most farms never rises to that level of urgency. We're so busy farming, we don't ever take time to talk through these things. And the most tragic examples are when there was no communication done. And uh, I don't know, can you imagine the will being read and maybe three children present and there's a big surprise. Mm -hmm. One of them gets it all or lion's share and the others don't, but it was never discussed. There might've been good reasons, but parents didn't want to address it. So, you know, on the positive side, communicating, planning, no surprises. And I can answer those questions while I'm still around to answer them. And the tragedy is when there is no communication or, you know, it's not communicated. And Jared, believe it or not, the no communication happens way too often. And the result is broken families, hurt feelings, relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe it. I, I've seen it myself and, and I think it's complicated, especially maybe when the farm knows that a lot of times in these situations, somebody's not, not maybe going to be happy when there's multiple heirs. And if it's the guy who's been home farming and he finds out he's maybe not getting what he hoped or expected or, or the opposite that you kind of alluded yeah. to earlier, where everybody else thinks they're going to get a piece of it and they find out they got nothing or very little. And mm-hmm. so I guess, do you have tools or tricks to make that conversation easier up front so so that it doesn't result in broken families afterwards? Well, you know, there are some things that you could do that might help. Actually, I have a form that's uh, like a sample job description. So, Jared, let's say you're coming home to our farm. Say you and I are going to farm together. Sure. I would fill out a job description telling you when you're going to start and end each day, what are your responsibilities, how much you're going to be paid, when you would have a vacation, will there ever be advancement or a move to ownership, and how will I evaluate you, just like any job. Mm -hmm. And I think what 
if you did that with someone uh, young, you know, returning the business, maybe for a wage, or I think that would be a really good piece of communication. Holy cow, Jim, you're only going to pay me $15 an hour. I can't do that. I've already had a $30 an hour job from uh, a different farm. So that, that would be one tool. There's actually a little uh, exercise we do with farm families. I try to do is called, how do you transfer the different components of a farm? And this will get a little complicated on a podcast, but it, if you divide a farm up into maybe labor of the farm, the management of the farm, who makes the decisions, the income of the farm, and the ownership of the farm, those four things. I'm going to guess most people would say the easiest thing is to give up or transfer is the labor. The management, who makes decisions, uh, mom or dad has always made those decisions. And so now you're cast into the role of being a mentor teacher versus the CEO. And I think thinking about that, thinking about me as a mentor farmer versus a CEO farmer is really a change in thought process. So I like to just point that out to people and then, you know, pick a task, let's say planting corn. Uh, when would I be willing to give that over? You know, this year, Jared, I'm going to let you plant corn, but it's testing. I'm going to watch you close to see if you can drive straight. You know, if you do the maintenance on a tractor and all the things that need to happen. But, you know, this year you did a really good job. So maybe next year the plan is to move you into the commitment where really that's your job. And establishment would be the next phase where I really back away. That's your job to get the tractor, the planter ready. And withdrawal is, Jared, I'm at the lake. Don't even call me to tell me you're having trouble with corn planting. I'm, I'm done. So there's phases, and I have a worksheet that is kind of a matrix where you could actually talk that through with the next generation. So that's, you know, labor. But what, who makes the decision to buy seed corn? And, you know, mom has always made that decision. And how does mom become the mentor to say, uh, you know, I think I'm going to pass it on to you. So that's another trick. Just, you know, discussing those things. And one thing that really makes farm transfers go well, Jared, is met expectations. In other words, we did planning and things happened just the way we expected them. That's satisfaction all around. But unmet expectations can be disastrous. You know, the returning generation expects one thing. Yeah. I expect something else. It leads to a clash. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to that conversation of communication again, I imagine, where if neither even know what the other's expectations are, how can you ever expect to meet them? Communication, top three things, communication, communication, and more communication. But, you know, farmers don't really, it's hard to find time to do this. Mm -hmm. It is not, uh, Stephen Covey has this matrix, like things that are urgent and important, like uh, the cattle are out and they're on the highway. 
we've got to drop everything to do that, right? Yeah. yeah. But things that are important, but they're not urgent, are planning. Well, we'll do planning when we have time, mm -hmm. yeah. which some people are better at that than others. But most farms, we're always busy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Huh. No, that's a really a good point. And I'm, I'm thinking through even, yeah, like in our situation here with my family again and stuff, how important and how rare it is probably to see that that job description and, and defined roles and defined, defined communication and transition. But where it, you know, it can probably get even more complicated and, and stuff is when you, you talk about communicating with off-farm heirs. And, and how does that tend to go? Because that's probably where well, the communication with on-farm heirs and off-farm heirs, but around the conversation maybe of asset transfer as opposed to management. That's maybe where feelings get hurt more than anything, I imagine, is when there's lack of expectations there or families, I don't know, you hear it, money changes people. <laughs> and so I guess, do you have tools or, or things that help ease those conversations? Well, I'm a proponent and I encourage uh, farms to have meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, most people farm because they like to farm, not because they like to have meetings or do goal setting or paperwork, mm -hmm. with the exception of some just really you know, enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I would encourage farms making a transition to have a regular meeting schedule. You know, maybe it's the first Monday of every month or uh, not holidays, unless you want to ruin Christmas. Uh, <laughs> you know, New Year's, uh, 4th of July, <laughs> don't have a farm transfer meeting at, on those <laughs> days because it's usually stressful. Yeah. But maybe you could do the day after, you know, if everybody's home. Uh, in terms of, so having a meeting and having somebody assigned to take minutes and write down what was said. I'm just realizing in, in my own life, as I get older, I'm not hearing as well as I used to, but I also probably most of my life have had a habit of hearing things with my own filter and what I think that means. Sure. And when I see it written on paper, I realize, oh, that's not what we were talking about or that's not what we agreed to. So I really like to see, you know, a regular meeting with planned agenda and then take minutes of what was discussed and conclusions reached. Do you, for those meetings, try to bring in any sort of third party for maybe those minutes? Like you said, the person taking the minutes may, may read, write down minutes in their own filter as well, but uh, for facilitating the conversations, recording, is that an important piece? You know, in some cases, they've asked me to be their facilitator mm -hmm. at the farm for those kind of meetings. I know the dairy profit, I've had some of these meetings with Gary Prophet and the Dairy Prophet coordinator has taken the minutes. Hmm. But a lot of times it's these are meetings where I'm not there, you know, just can't be everywhere at once. So there's different ways of picking who will do the notes. And sometimes mom is the one that gets tabbed or, you know, but another way of picking them is to say, well, whose birth date is closest to the date? Yeah. <laughs> And the key is everybody needs to read the minutes and agree. Yeah, this is what was said. So I don't think you have to be a professional to know if you can write and listen. I think you can do it. So that, 
Well, that that's interesting because what you just said, read the minutes and, and agree that that's what was said, because I think of all the boards that I've sat on, both FFA, Cattlemen Board, Farm Bureau Boards, where it's at the beginning of every meeting, you read the minutes and you move to approve the minutes. And I would say for the most part, that's kind of almost a formality, it seems like. But how I can see how this would be really important in these conversations when you're talking about recording conversations that are taking or that is around the serious conversation. And so I, I hadn't considered that. And yeah, that if you read and, and agree that that's a oh, that's just a really good point. And, and sometimes yeah. it's just the process of in the meeting. If you can't figure out what was said to write it down, uh, would you please clarify that so I can figure out what to write down, you know, so that it may improve the outcome of the meeting. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm thinking of something that I hear a lot in, you, I mean, you always hear from, I don't even know where you hear, but hear, hear people talk about someday this will all be yours. And there's this unspoken, unwritten expectation that the younger generation will be given everything if they work hard, they don't question, they trust, and they just do their best and stuff. I'm curious your thoughts on that and the idea of sweat equity and, you know, this unpaid labor for some unspoken someday receipt of full payment, I guess. Well, again, it is not my opinion that counts. It's what the farm family's opinion is. Sure. And when Megan Roberts and I have done our uh, farm succession, we call it a retreat because it's, mm. you know, a Friday night and a full day Saturday. But we have an activity called Someday Sue. This will all be yours. And maybe that's where you got the idea. <laughs> well, I've heard, heard it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someday this will all be yours. Uh, originally, the activity was titled uh, Jimmy Dean. Someday, Jimmy Dean, this will all be yours. But I think somewhere along the line, the realization struck me that the successor could be female as opposed to male. Sure. And so Sue, uh, with Johnny Cash's big hit, Never <laughs> Name a Boy Sue, Yeah. Uh, I felt that was generic enough to fit, fit our <laughs> little exercise. But like really it. what it does just lays out a, uh, a farm as a case study. And what the parents did, and one of the children, uh, Sue, came home to farm and built some buildings, and bought some equipment, and and uh, the parents kind of have said, "Well, Sue, you've been here uh, someday. This is all going to be yours." And the two children that were in Minneapolis and St. Paul with good careers, good jobs, uh, mom and dad had helped them through college, paid for their college. They're questioning why should Sue get it all? And so laying out that case study, there's some questions then for the farm families to answer. Was this fair? How much information should the off-farm children know versus Sue who is here farming? What should be shared and when? It is so interesting, you know, you hand this out to families and have them work through it and then hear their responses, not my reaction, but what are we feeling after we read this? And it really, if the, you know, the far, whole farm family is at the table when that's done, kind of really helps them see, oh, I didn't realize you felt that way. So it gives them an opportunity to work through it. Sure, yeah. And I suppose, again, <laughs> the communication, like you're saying, it's up to them to define what that 
is, what's fair and what each kid has. But I guess each kid at least needs to know so that individual can make a decision whether or not it's worth waiting around for whatever that is eventual, that eventual is. I think, you know, common answers are, well, Sue has contributed a lot to our business and the business mm-hmm. wouldn't be what it is without her or him. Mm-hmm. And that's worth a lot. Plus, Sue has been driving us to our medical appointments for many, many years and probably will, you know, when we need a nursing home, you know, is the one that lives close by. Mm-hmm. And uh, the business would not have grown without the contributions of Sue. So it's been worth a lot. But if the parents don't sit down and address this with the two how farming, you know, their opinions might change after the parents sit down and explain this to them. And, you know, Jared, I have three children, and it's always kind of been my opinion. I'd rather the kids all hated me because I won't be here anymore and that they would like each other. Yeah. Uh, so far, they like me too. <laughs> That's good. Uh, That's yeah. good. Well, I, you know, I think that that's a good point because I've seen families where that, that conversation is avoided for fear that the, 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 whoever's going to be upset in that situation will no longer love them or that that'll ruin that relationship between the parent and whatever kid isn't getting what they were hoping and stuff. But if your goal is, I mean, I guess a farmer or an individual needs to consider for themselves. Yeah. What is more important to them? And like you're saying, you value having your kids in each other's lives and their, their relationship and family maintained, uh, you know, well beyond the, the passing of the owner generation. In the someday Sue case study, mom doesn't want anybody to have their feelings hurt. So everybody should be treated exactly the same. And uh, dad says, wait a minute. I developed this farm. I earned the money. I can do whatever the heck I want with it. (laughs) So, yeah, kind of interesting. And, you know, sometimes you get some smiles around the room. Yeah, that's how we see it, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think to one story of a farmer who shared their family's transition where the owner generation shared his goal to pass the farm on to one of, I think, the five, six, seven kids, something like that. And everyone else was unhappy, but the father recognized that there really wasn't an opportunity to pass it to everybody and the farm wouldn't, you know, exist in in perpetuity if they did that. And so he just put his fist down. He said, this is my land. This is my decision. And this is the way that it is. And yeah, whether they liked is, you know, yeah, it was, it was laid out on the line for everybody early on to know the future of that. There are some cultures in Minnesota that the oldest son gets it all. Mm -hmm. That's the way it has been since we came here, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And Okay. Well, might seem unfair to the rest of them, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So a couple scenarios, I guess, that come into my mind. One would be a farm that maybe doesn't have the money to bring in another person or the labor requirements to really justify bringing in another person, even if there's equity and money there. Um, In that situation, how does that conversation go a lot of times? Well, hopefully in the planning process, I mentioned that the finances of the farm really are a very important part of the consideration. And it is tragic, I think, when someone is brought back into the farm and it can't support that. You know, our farm records for last year 
in central Minnesota, maybe 200 farms. If you include taxes paid and investment in non-farm spending, like buying vehicles or building onto a house or whatever, it's $87,000. That is a really big bite to add another $87,000 draw out of a <laughs> farm that's already struggled. That was estimated cost of living, you're saying? No, that was actual cost of living. Okay, wow. Yeah, now maybe 57000 of that they call, you know, actual living. That's what I spent on food, medical care, mm -hmm. uh, electricity, and so on. Yeah. But then you add in the cost of buying a non-farm vehicle, and maybe we add it onto a house or have a lake mm -hmm. cabin or whatever. 87000 was the the average. Wow. So take yeah. your pick. And a lot of families can live on less. But, you know, you have children, you need medical care. It is really tough to live on much, you know, mm -hmm. people do it, but uh, it's pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happens, I guess, what are the conversations that have to happen then in the situation where there's, call it $100,000 in money to go around and two, three people trying to make a living on it? Well, I mean, one conversation would be what new opportunities does the returning person provide to the farm? Mm -hmm. You know, is it just a draw? Or Jared, did you learn something new in your college experience that could add value to the farm or a new enterprise that you might have the labor to take on, you know, rent some additional land or mm -hmm. uh, finish dairy steers when we've always sold the calves out of our, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if the money's not there, what could be done, you know, off-farm income is certainly a part of young farmer transition these days mm -hmm. and uh, going to be a part-time farmer in the early years. I'm not saying it has to be that way, but it can be an option. And of course, sometimes it's just realizing this isn't going to work mm -hmm. and, and realizing that up front. Yeah. The tragic part is when you do it for 10 years and realize this is not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Now the young person has made a big investment of their life and the parents, you know, may have uh, diminished what their retirement ability is. Sure. Yeah. And, and parents retirement is I'm sure a massive part of this because, well, how do you have that conversation of parents who are maybe primarily entirely invested in the farm business and trying to pass off the management and the labor of the farm, but still require income out of it. Well, planning to have a conversation with somebody where a couple is in the nursing home. And I would just say the cost per month is staggering. Yeah. Like I think with my, my uh, income this year, I'd say I could last two months. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, you know, there are, there are less, maybe better ways today than just going in a nursing home at end of life. And we do have a whole segment in our, our workshop about, you know, retirement planning and what are the costs and so on. But, you know, in-home health care has been really a good option for some people. You know, stay in my home, but somebody comes to help me a couple days a week or, or more often. And moving into an assisted living care center versus a you know a nursing home 
can be a good option. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times that generation that returns to the farm provides a lot of care for the parents. And so that's a big consideration in planning, Jared. If you're going to come back to the farm, you know, are you willing to commit that maybe you and your wife, if you, I'm not sure, you know, if you're going to be married or going to be married or maybe that's not an option, but you know, commit to maybe caring for adult parents so they can stay in their home. That could be explained to the ones that live four hours away. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, flipping the conversation, I guess, or the scenario a little bit the other direction to a farm that has way more assets, like money and, and assets to bring in the next generation is not the question, but also recognizing that that new generation purchasing out the gener you know purchasing out the, the previous owners or buying out their siblings on a fair share is, is maybe not possible guess what are some of the the routes that people have gone in those scenarios yeah you mean if you're in a farming business with partners or other siblings and how do you transfer it and just a farm just a farm that's got you know millions of dollars in assets that you know, the other, the last scenario was kind of a situation where the farm is already struggling financially and bringing in the new generation in a farm that doesn't have the resources. This is, there's plenty of resources. That's not the trouble. There's plenty of work. That's not the trouble. Yeah. It's now how do you transfer the resources and also keeping off farm heirs somewhat equitable, I guess. Like what are some creative ways that people have found to, to get something to them, but also not pulling out a massive portion of the business yeah. that, you know, is dependent on for, for the operation. Well, communication is still extremely important in having a plan and, you know, communicating. I guess if it comes to buying out or, you know, how much do I leave each one that, you know, in my estate plan. But uh, there are farms that can, there are some really good uh, planners, uh, attorneys. I'm not an attorney, nor am I a tax company, but I'd say they're essential people to help you achieve your goals. You need to figure out what your goals are, what your plan is, and then go to the professionals and say, okay, help me accomplish my goals. And I would just say nothing against attorneys, but if I spent my time in their office uh, having the goal-setting conversations and brainstorming, that could get really uh, expensive and hurt. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Large farms have the same problems that small farms or farms with limited assets. And in some cases, they may even have greater challenges. But how do you train when you've been very, very successful in a large business? I, I'm kind of cautious that I'm just going to throw the reins over to you, Jared. I've got several million dollars here. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want you to lose it. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a fair. Uh, that's a, probably not a bad idea, Jim. You don't know. You uh, don't know me well enough. <laughs> I, you know, I bet you're pretty good. But uh, <laughs> you know, I thought I knew everything when I was 22. Boy, I was cocky. I knew it all. And the thing that's happening to me now—I'm almost 63—is I know less than I knew then. <laughs> I have more questions, and I am less confident and probably give less pat answers than I did then. Mm -hmm. And that's just because I've realized how challenging life is. So I'm, I've become more of a listener 
and a facilitator, then uh, here's what you do. And I like that in my attorney and my accountant too. Mm -hmm. I like it when they listen to me. And I would encourage farms, if the people you're working with don't do that, you might think about, am I working with the right person? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I, I forget who it was. I listened to some podcasts where the person went, it sounds very similar to what you're describing. There was some person who was in this transition, kind of a third party role to help facilitate the discussions and went in and, you know, had some conversations and formulated this great plan. And the person kind of said, you didn't hear me. <laughs> that was the response. You just didn't listen. And that kind of shook him, you know? And so, yeah, no, I'm hearing the importance of this as a third party, if you were to bring somebody in or if you were somebody listening here is, is you know, acting as that role, the importance of really hearing what are the, what are the concerns? What are the, the challenges? Hey, Jared, I'll offer one more thing here as a tool and that is a to-do list. Okay. You know, thinking about well, what are the things that need to happen here in transition, writing it down, who's responsible and when is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's always something urgent and important will come along. And I actually have a worksheet we use in the class that, you know, kind of identifies some key areas and we encourage farms to, okay, write down, oh, you don't have an attorney? Okay, uh, how are we going to accomplish that? Who's going to do it? And when, when are we going to be making that decision? So that's yeah. one more tool. Write it down. Have a plan. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'm curious as we're kind of getting towards the end of this, is there something that you think is important that we haven't talked about? Listening is important. Communication is important. Having action steps and to-do lists is important. What else have we not talked about that you would like to leave the listeners with? Uh, you know, relationships are, are just so important. And uh, I think farm transitions can happen and have relationships be intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it breaks my heart when I see that it doesn't. And sometimes it's hard to face the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. In, in firm transition, we have something we call, we ask the class, everybody know what the golden rule is. And everybody will raise their hand and say, yeah, treat others as you'd like to be treated. No, the golden rule is he who has the gold gets to make the rules. <laughs> but they also, the person with the gold has the responsibility to make sure this process happens. Mm-hmm. And avoidance is a decision, Jared. Yeah. You know, avoiding it means things could end really tragically and I won't be around to fix it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Jared, I'm, I'm available to help families within uh, a reasonable distance. And I know uh, there are others. So, you know, someone, uh, a lot of farm management instructors are people in extension and there are some private facilitators too to help help through this process. So if you're feeling like you need help, reach out. Yeah. And maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing where people can find you or their local farm business management instructor. And, and then in addition to that, are there any other resources that you would direct people to to check out? Well, uh, there's two places, and there's a directory there, uh, the Southern Minnesota Center of Agriculture, which is Mankato, mm-hmm. and Megan Roberts is there, and then the Northern Minnesota Center of Agriculture Education, 
and that is based out of Staples, but I'm part of the Northern Center. Mm -hmm. There's a complete directory in there if you can find it. There's a lot of stuff there, but it, you can find a directory of the farm management instructors around the state. And uh, I can be found at my email, jmolinar at SC, St. Cloud Technical and Community College. I mean, I don't know, Jared, if you could post the actual email maybe in the yeah. podcast. Yeah. If someone sends me an email, I can sure help to direct. Uh, and we will probably have two more of these farm transition retreats next winter. Um, you never know. We didn't do it last year because of COVID and the year before. We had just started doing it and got canceled. So we did two this year, one in Mankato and one in Alexandria, and both were very well attended. People were very satisfied. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask where, where people can find information on that. Uh, by contacting either one of the centers of agriculture and or me. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, Jim. I, I really appreciate it. That was fantastic information. And, and you clearly, you've got a lot of experience in this. So I appreciate you taking some time to, to share it with our listeners. And yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you, Jared. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.